This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight and we begin with breaking news and the complicated recovery of the bodies of three people who went missing near Shannon Falls, including one identified as a well-known travel vlogger. The effort to recover the bodies is extremely dangerous due to the rushing cold water and slippery conditions. RCMP believe all three slipped and fell 30 meters yesterday. Ted Chernecki has more on what we're learning about the victims and why this recovery effort is so challenging. The first of the three bodies was airlifted directly out of a pool at the base of a 30-meter section of Shannon Falls at about 3.15 this afternoon. The three were swept over the falls just above where you can see a group of search and rescue personnel. It's quite steep there and there is no easy egress into the particular pool. Um, so we're having to use uh, a dual rope rescue system to be able to uh, insert the RCMP members that'll be actually going down into the pool. Um, so we're, we're assisting them in doing that. One of the victims has been identified as Riker Gamble, a well-known Vancouver vlogger on a website called High on Life. We've also learned more about the group up there yesterday. So there was a group of seven uh, individuals yesterday that hiked up into the area. Uh, they went into one of the pool systems uh, that's up there to go swimming and uh, three of them uh, were walking along the edge of where the pool would be and at that stage they slipped and fell into the third pool. The second body was airlifted out at about 4.30 and the final victim just after 5 this afternoon. By any standards, this was a technically difficult recovery. Squamish Search and Rescue say they've noticed a sharp increase in emergency calls ever since a nearby gondola opened. The Sea uh, uh, to Sky gondola has certainly brought a lot of tourism to, to Squamish. And as Sasha said, it's a beautiful area and, and being able to, uh, to provide that access to people and the, all the hiking above the gondola um, is, is fabulous. Uh, but she's right too that along with that comes uh, some pretty severe terrain and unless people are educated, equipped, um, trained to, to access some of these areas, um, it, it, it has potential for great risk. And Chris, the falls seem even more active today because the temperature is in the low 30s by one measurement. Shannon Falls Park remains closed tonight as they continue to get search and rescue crew and equipment off that mountain, but it's expected to reopen tomorrow. Chris? All right, Ted, thanks for the update from Squamish. Now to another breaking story. After more than 35 hours dangling from the Ironworkers Memorial Bridge, anti-pipeline protesters have just been removed from their perch by RCMP. And our John Waugh is there. John, this started a few hours ago. Where are things at now? 
Well, Chris, what nobody could deny was a gutsy demonstration by Greenpeace Canada is officially over. That last demonstrator that was hanging underneath the Iron Workers Memorial Bridge was literally just taken down and lowered down into a police boat moments ago. Now, that means it took the RCMP extraction team three and a half hours to get all of them down. Now, when that first demonstrator was brought down at about 4.30 this afternoon, all seven demonstrators had been hanging underneath the bridge for about 38 and a half hours. Of course, they were doing so in protest against the Kinder Morning and Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion, saying that with it, increased tanker traffic would put the waters they were hanging over at serious risk of a spill. Despite the fact that all these demonstrators were, like I said, lowered into police boats and taken away, Greenpeace Canada considers this a success. Yeah, I mean, I think we were very successful. We, as you said, uh, stopped the flow of, uh, of bitumen uh, through these waters for close to 37 hours now. Um, we've brought a huge amount of public attention to this pipeline project and the risks that it posed to these waters. Um, and I guess the police just decided to, to try to move in to extract them. So, John, RCMP removed them from the bridge. What happens to the protesters now? Well, when those protesters came down, they were met by a huge cheer from their supporters here, who right afterwards were told to head over to the North Vancouver RCMP detachment to greet and support these protesters as they arrived there. Now, Greenpeace Canada made it very clear today that the civil disobedience doesn't end here. Chris? All right, John, thank you. A Delta father may soon be charged after leaving two children in a hot car over the long weekend. Delta police say the children, three and five years old, were spotted in a locked vehicle in the Tawasson Mills Mall parking lot just before 5 p.m. on Canada Day. Witnesses tried getting the older child to open the door, but when that failed, they called 911. The children, uh, they were sweating profusely. Uh, red-faced and uh, obviously in distress. They were crying and uh, their hair was uh, wet, uh, slicked back. Uh, so he was very concerned about them. He had the older child, the five-year-old, uh, stand to the back of the vehicle and uh, then uh, broke the driver's side window to free the children. We're checked over in hospital and are reported to be doing very well. Police say they will be recommending criminal charges to Crown and they have advised the Ministry of Children and Family Development. A health warning for you now. The B.C. Centre for Disease Control issuing a measles alert. It comes after an infected person travelled to Vancouver on a recent flight from New Delhi and connected in Guangzhou. At this point in time, there's nothing that can be offered to passengers who are exposed and susceptible because we are beyond the six days during which we may be able to offer vaccine or immune globulin. But people should still keep an eye out for symptoms of measles. And if they become ill with a fever or rash, they should seek medical attention. A man who pled guilty to killing his half-sister learned his fate today. Matthew Pernoski received an automatic life sentence for the murder of 18-year-old Rachel Pernoski back in 2013. Grace Key was in court and has more on how Pernoski will be eligible for parole and reaction from the family. Family and friends of Rachel Pernoski walk out of a new Westminster courthouse putting an end to the criminal case involving their beloved daughter, sister and mother. Rachel's estranged half-brother Matthew will be eligible for parole in 13 years after pleading guilty to second-degree murder, a charge that carries a life sentence. 
it doesn't really matter as long as he gets life. You know, he's eligible for parole. That doesn't mean he's going to be out. In March 2013, the 18-year-old from Mission went missing. Three days later, her body was found down an embankment in Chilliwack. In 2016, 31-year-old Matthew Pernoski was charged in Rachel's death, as well as two counts of indignity to a body. Those charges were later stayed after he pleaded guilty and made a murder. She was the victim, and she was the only victim. Matthew's not a victim. He may depict himself as a victim in order to get sympathy, but he's not a victim. Rachel's family is thankful they don't have to relive the details of her death through a trial. They are committed to supporting her son Marco, now six years old, who continues to ask about his mother. Grace Key, Global News. People at a Burnaby gas station were stunned this morning when they saw a hit and run involving an RCMP officer. Witnesses say the officer was trying to stop a driver who appeared to be on his phone, but he took off, striking the Mountie as he peeled away. Uh, Ramina Dea has more on how this all unfolded. Ramina. Chris, witnesses tell us they were completely caught off guard when they found the RCMP officer on the road over here at around 10 o'clock this morning. I heard some screaming, and so I, and there was a car kind of blocking my vision, so I just walked up a bit, and I noticed there was an officer laying on the ground. Rocky Phipps was doing construction on a nearby park when he dropped everything and ran over to help the injured RCMP officer. I didn't know if she was shot or, or if she got hit by a car. Witnesses tell us the cop was walking out of the convenience store at the gas station when she approached an SUV. The driver apparently on his phone while he was behind the wheel. He tried to back away to get away from her. That happened a few times. He went out onto Willingdon and just she tried to stop him and he didn't stop. This incident demonstrates the danger that our officers face each and every day when they uh, conduct their duties in the city of Burnaby. We're uh, fortunate that uh, all the officer suffered was a broken arm and that the officer will be back on duty. Police are looking for a gray Dodge Nitro SUV. The suspect, a South Asian male with a heavy build, shaved head and tattoo on his left arm. Somebody messed up big. Justin Schindle also rushed to the officer's aid, one of many bystanders who took action, likely preventing the cop from being struck again. There was a bunch of people that did a really good job at kind of closing her off from traffic and parking their cars and kind of escorting people around her. It was very, let's get that guy, <laughs> which is what you want to see. All right, well, they haven't done that yet, Ramina. We know this escalated very quickly. It's now a criminal investigation. It is, and it's unclear at this point, Chris, why it escalated so quickly. If the suspect was wanted for something else, and maybe that's why he reacted the way he did, or maybe he just didn't want a distracted driving ticket. That's something that police are looking into tonight. Back to you. All right, we'll hope for an update soon. Thanks, Ramina. Now, big project ahead. BC Ferries is announcing plans to replace five of its big ships. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria for us tonight. And Keith, these are going to replace the C-class ferries that mm -hmm. run out of Horseshoe Bay and Duke Point. And also a hot topic tonight is who's going to build them? 
Yeah, it's always a political uh, uh, controversy here, Chris, where B.C. ferries builds their vessels. Recent ones built in Germany and Poland. Uh, and the NDP government today, John Horgan, musing aloud, perhaps offering incentives to build those vessels in B.C. We're talking about the Queen's uh, vessels, Queen of Alberni, Queen of Surrey, Queen of Cowish, and Queen of Coquitlam and such. John Horgan today asked directly, would you, your government consider providing incentives to B.C. shipyards to ensure those vessels are built here? Here's his reply. That's one of the very things we're talking about. Uh, the, the benefits to the community of having shipbuilding jobs on a, in a maritime province are significant. And uh, those have diminished over time because of the policy choices of the previous government. And we're looking at what policy choices we could make to revitalize the shipbuilding industry. But there's a lot of work to do. And uh, BC Ferries has just put out their RFP or their expression of interest today. And uh, we'll take a look at that over the summer and see what we can do to affect a positive outcome for workers here in BC. Now, it's one thing to, do to express hope to build those vessels here in B.C. It's another thing when you look at the reality. We talked to James McFadden, uh, the president of Meridian uh, Marine uh, Company in Richmond. He points out we don't have as many shipyards as we used to. We don't have the skilled workforce that's required to build these vessels. And in any event, big yards like C-SPAN already are busy with building federal shipbuilding contracts. So it's going to be a pretty big boulder pushing up a pretty steep hill for the NDP to get those uh, vessels built here in B.C. Chris. Sounds like it. All right. Thanks very much, Keith. Churches are known for welcoming anyone, regardless of their situation. And that's why an Okanagan church is in the news tonight. Global's Shelby Tom tells us why the Penticton United Church says it's being forced to post no trespassing signs. We watch them shooting up as we're coming and going. The South Okanagan's homelessness crisis has landed on the doorstep of the Penticton United Church. We're finding more and more that transients and the homeless are coming to our building. Loitering and doing drugs. They leave their drug paraphernalia behind as they move on. The situation culminating outside the place of worship to the point the Christian church says it plans to erect no trespassing signs. It's a very sad situation. Uh, we're worried about our staff. The church is also demanding action on affordable housing. We know that there is a housing crisis in, in town here. And is advocating for a supervised injection site. We certainly know in other communities that safe injection sites lower the risk for, for those who use drugs. The comments come on the heels of an unaffiliated and newly formed vigilante night watch group that's focusing its efforts around the church. Drugs aren't welcome in our Treats. City Hall says it's doing what it can to address the housing crunch. There's been a significant investment over recent times uh, trying to respond to a lot of the social issues that we're dealing with right now. The Penticton RCMP detachment says it's stepping up patrols in areas of concern and working to create what it calls the community active response table to identify those at highest risk and get them off the streets and into housing. But the church says more needs to be done. It breaks my heart because these these folks are somebody's children. Shelby Tom, Global News, Penticton. The province says it's been forced to act after backlash from the new employer health tax. It's making some big changes. And Richard Zussman joins us from Victoria now with more on who will be getting a break, Richard, and who will likely absorb the cost. 
Yeah, Chris, when the province announced uh, in February that it was getting rid of medical service plan premiums in January 2020, there was a lot of blowback of how it was going to be paid for. An employer's health tax that comes into effect next year on January 1st, the whole year before MSP premiums are gone. That includes companies that have payrolls of more than $500,000 paying the tax. Well, today, the province announcing some exemptions. Let's have a look at the exemptions for universities and colleges, health authorities and school districts. The government itself will pick up the tab of $90 million for them. And there's more, nonprofits and charities. The threshold is now higher. Instead of payrolls of $500,000 or more, the threshold is $1.5 million for nonprofits or charities. Any payroll lower than that for them, they won't have to play the employer's health tax. And then there's a big gap between $1.5 million and $4.5 million there in terms of how much tax they pay. Let's have a listen here to Finance Minister Carol James. And then unlike the previous government, we're not downloading costs onto school boards and onto universities and onto social services and expecting them to pick up the costs. We're going to cover those costs to protect those important services for British Columbians. There was a lot of criticism also, Chris, about municipalities having to pay the employer's health tax. Well, they're still going to have to. James saying that if they download all those taxes on to homeowners, property taxes could go up about 20 to $40 a year. She says that's a big difference based on how much people would be saving with MSP gone in 2020. Sounds like it. All right, thanks very much, Richard Zussman in Victoria for us tonight. It was a baffling mystery. A former Olympian tells his family he's going for a bike ride and then vanishes. The only clue? A sighting on the Victoria to Washington State Ferry. As Kylie Stanton reports, the story came to an end today with a disgraced investment advisor going to prison for fraud. A world-class rower and an Olympian three times over, Harold Backer has always been a part of a team. But today in court, he admitted he let his team down. Obviously, this is much more than simply losing a, a rowing race. It's much far more significant than that. Uh, and he does feel absolute and complete remorse. The case has been dragging on for years. On November 3, 2015, Backer didn't return home after telling his family he was going for a bike ride. This surveillance footage of him cycling in Washington State was the last anyone saw of him for 18 months. But shortly after he disappeared, financial crime investigators started looking into his dealings. At the same time, investors in his company, My Financial Backer Corp, received a letter. Then he said he would... Sorry. Did you accept yeah. his apology? Yes, I do. But he's still a loss, right? Today, the 55-year-old was sentenced to 13 months in jail and three years probation after switching his plea to guilty. As part of a plea resolution, he was charged with a single count of fraud in excess of $5,000. By pleading guilty, the accused uh, waives his right to raise certain defences and ultimately waives his right to an appeal. There's also a civil suit in the works. Clavora, a longtime friend and teammate, is just one of seven clients pursuing it. Between them, roughly $1 million has been lost, but that only accounts for their original investment. The loss of opportunity claim or the interest claim is well in excess of that because it's been going on for many years. With the criminal matter now resolved, the civil suit can move forward. A trial date is still at least a year away. But what we don't know and what we may never know is where exactly Backer disappeared to.
the answer to that question wasn't relevant to today's sentencing proceedings, and I won't be answering that. This victim knows that information doesn't change anything. He's already lost so much, not only his savings, but also a friend. It's a tragedy. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. A Williams Lake man has been charged with two counts of animal cruelty after the SPCA seized 46 dogs and puppies from his property back in February. The SPCA spokesperson says the dogs were fearful and terrified of human contact when they were seized because of poor sanitation, lack of shelter, and inadequate medical care. After extensive therapy, only eight of the dogs remain in SPCA care. Terry Baker faces a maximum fine of $10,000, up to five years in jail, and up to a lifetime ban on owning animals. Counterflow is out over here. Here at the Massey Tunnel, seeing minimal delays north and south, but what's backed up at this point is the Steveston off-ramp from northbound Massey Tunnel. Kermac Collision provides superior customer service and satisfaction, and when you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids, a rewards program that really counts. I'm Trish Stewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. Four months after a former Russian spy and his daughter were poisoned, residents of a quiet corner of England are dealing with yet another toxic attack. A couple in their 40s fell critically ill after being exposed to the same nerve agent that was used in the poisoning in March. Espionage and intrigue once again striking this sleepy corner of England. Tonight, investigators saying British nationals Don Sturgis and Charlie Rowley, who fell ill last Saturday, were poisoned. Following the detailed analysis of those samples, we can confirm that the man and woman have been exposed to the nerve agent Novichok. The latest victims of the same deadly Russian-made nerve agent believed to have been used four months ago in the attempted assassination of former Russian double agent Sergei Skripal and his daughter, seven miles away in the town of Salisbury. British counterterrorism officials said there's no evidence the couple were specifically targeted, but they couldn't say how the pair were poisoned. But the couple did visit a park in Salisbury the day before. The pair remain in critical condition as police cordon off places they visited. Sam Hobson was with the couple when they fell ill. He got up and started acting weird. He said he felt he'd been poisoned. Hobson said Rowley was sweating profusely, rocking back and forth, and had pinpoint pupils before he collapsed. All symptoms of Novichuk poisoning, the same Russian-made nerve agent that nearly killed the Scripples and a police officer in March. Their poisoning set off a huge diplomatic incident, with the U.S., U.K., and dozens of other countries expelling more than a hundred Russian diplomats. Russia denied any involvement in the Scripples poisoning. Now, a new development in a deepening mystery. Matt Bradley, NBC News, London. The search has resumed on a property linked to Toronto's accused serial killer. Police are scouring a ravine near the home where Bruce MacArthur worked as a landscaper. They say sniffer dogs found a few areas of interest back in the spring, but the ground was too hard to dig up. The remains of seven men have already been found in planters at the property. MacArthur is charged with eight counts of first-degree murder. New video tonight of those 12 boys and their soccer coach trapped deep inside a cave in Thailand for 11 days now. While the boys are in good spirits and getting food and medical care, getting them out is still a stubborn problem. Tonight, the boys and their soccer coach appear in good spirits. 
New video shows them smiling and laughing with Thai Navy divers. A doctor treats their cuts, and then one by one, they send messages to their families. I'm in good health, he says. Another flashes a victory sign. But the boys are also at risk. Heavy rains could push water levels higher inside the cave. That threat is forcing Thai officials to consider an evacuation soon. The province's governor said if there is a risk, we will not move them out. Rescue workers are doing drills, preparing for the moment the boys are brought to the surface, while officials say they're getting a crash course in diving and wearing full face masks. None of them can even swim. We spoke to a diver advising the rescue team who's been inside the cave about the mission. You're not confident they can do it? I think they can. Um, I think it's possible. I just think it's also a very, very dangerous choice to make and it's very easy to go wrong because it takes a little bit of panic and then it will go wrong. He says a safer option may be drilling a hole a half mile down right to the cave so the boys can avoid a risky swim and trek. That's at least two and a half miles to the cave's entrance. Some passageway is too narrow for scuba gear. Round-the-clock pumping has reduced water levels, but more rain means stronger currents that could cut off access for divers. Families watching that new video of the boys are anxious to be reunited. This mother saying, I'm dying to see him. I miss my son. Ontario's newly elected Conservative government has quietly halted legislation designed to prevent extreme resale prices for sports and concert tickets. The law was passed by the previous Liberal government and was set to take effect July 1st. It capped the price of resale tickets at no more than 50% above their face value. The new government says the current legislation is unenforceable and it's looking at possible alternatives. Well, there is no shortage of inspiring stories at this year's Canadian Transplant Games in Vancouver. But even so, swimmer Shelby Miller stands out. As Linda Aylesworth reports, her competitive spirit keeps her in the pool even as she waits for her third transplant. Every competitor at the Canadian Transplant Games in Vancouver this week has a story that can both break your heart and renew your faith in humanity. Shelby Geelan is no exception. I don't get it. I don't, I don't know how I'm still here. I don't know how I'm still here. That she is here swimming and winning at her old alma mater, UBC, is because someone donated a loved one's liver to Shelby when she was just 14 years old. I was in a coma and they had to find a match for a liver within 12 hours. Miraculously, a donor was found, but a year later they discovered the organ was tainted with hepatitis B. I was told I had five years to live, 15 at the time, and um, we made it last 13 and a half years. When, at the age of 26, that liver failed, a second matching organ became available, once again in the nick of time. I am only here still because of donors, and not only donors, but the donor families. Not a day goes by that Shelby and her husband Scott don't think about the people responsible for giving her a second and third chance at life. She is probably one of the strongest people I've ever met to endure the illnesses that she's had. 
And now it seems Shelby will have to be strong once again. Her second transplanted liver is failing. Knowing what's coming up for me, I can do it because I'm not, I'm lucky to still be here. I'm really good at <laughs> these liver transplants right now. <laughs> I got this. She's got the willpower. All she needs now is a donor. Yeah, it takes just two minutes to register at transplant.bc.ca. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Well, here's another inspiring story, too. A tiny four-year-old girl from Michigan with the heart of a lion is going viral after taking her first steps on video. Good. Look at that now. I'm walking. Look at that now. Oh, I'm walking. How cute is that? Maya Tisdale has cerebral palsy and had surgery in early May. Doctors said she might walk in six months to a year, but just seven weeks later, her joyful first steps. Come here. <laughs> I even did a big step. That was a big marching step. I'm okay. You are. I can do it. I know you can. And he's like, <laughs> yay! <laughs> Maya's mother says she has always been determined to walk so that she can run and play with her friends. Oh, that's so sweet. Friends over his friend and leaves him. <laughs> to the dust. Caught on video, an epic fail by two would-be robbers as one of them is left behind. And after the forecast, how that isn't even the strangest part of the story. It feels like a sauna. Right before we get to our weather, as Americans celebrate the 4th of July, more than 100 million of them are under heat alerts or emergencies. Regions from the Midwest to the Northeast sweltering under high temperatures so far, the hot weather is blamed for at least three deaths. A lot of people keeping cool by the pool or by the water. Yes. Here's Christy with a look at our forecast. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, so starting off with We Love Water Wednesdays, here's some of your great ideas. Use less water outdoors by choosing plants that love dry heat. Tomatoes, basil, beans, melon, and eggplant. Thanks to Agnes for that great idea. And use your dirty fish tank water to water your plants. They love the nutrients created by the fish waste. So thanks to Tina for that one. Great ideas, everyone. Uh, we talked about uh, the heat in through the east. Well, let's have a look at the heat here. Near the water, not too bad at 22, but just in Inland, Coquitlam 29, Delta 28, Surrey 28 today, Pitt Meadows 28, 28 uh, White Rock broke a record at 28 degrees, sorry, Pitt Meadows at 29, and then further inland up the valley, 31 in Chilliwack and Cultus Lake. The hot spot across BC today, 32 degrees in Squamish. No wonder there's so much uh, snow melt still going on. The uh, waterfalls and rivers still raging. But an interesting comparison. The hotspot across Canada today, Ottawa at 34 degrees. Doesn't seem too far off from Squamish. But the interesting part is the humid X. 39 is what it felt like. So closer to 40 degrees out east, whereas it's only 32 that feels like here out towards Squamish. Tomorrow we're expecting a beautiful afternoon at 25 degrees so it really will be nice but we're not completely in the clear everyone we've got this low pressure center just off the Oregon coast that's going to spread some cloud cover across our region tomorrow morning especially before it shifts further north
north, bringing showers and a risk of thunderstorms across the northern regions where it will continue to be sunny and beautiful and warm across the south. But Friday, that's when the low pressure center pushes on shore and we're back to showers. All right, here's your Thursday, everyone. So cloud showers, a risk of thunderstorms across the north, down through the south, hot. This will be the hottest day for those of you in the interior. 33 in Kamloops, 33 also in Merritt. And then uh, as you head towards your Friday, that's when things start to drop off a little bit. South coast, beautiful conditions, especially by the afternoon. That's when you can expect the sunshine, but a chance of showers moves in on Friday through Saturday. Looks like it's a little drier though towards the end of the weekend. And I'll leave you, Chris, with a beautiful sunrise shot from Lindsay in Kamloops. Oh, that's beautiful. I don't care if there's a filter on that. It's gorgeous. <laughs> I don't think there is. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe we'll find out. Lindsay, let us know. Did you use a filter? It's beautiful. Yeah. Either way. All right, thanks. Employees of a Winnipeg doggy daycare got quite a laugh when they discovered a botched robbery on their surveillance video. Global's Amber McGookin has the story of an epic criminal fail and why the culprits should actually be happy they left the loot behind. Here they roll up. These two suspects are taking hit and run to the next level. He runs over his friend and leaves him to the dust. Video surveillance from Doggy Daycare Central Park seems to show a robbery gone very wrong. The garbage bin that they took is just a feces garbage bin, so they didn't even take a garbage bin that, bin that might have receipts or anything that might help them what they're looking for, but they took the poop bin. That's right. They were close to taking off with a garbage bin full of dog poop and a broken sign from the Port Avenue business. The video shows the driver leaping out of the van and grabbing the can. On the way back to the car, he appears to be startled and ditches the bin while his accomplice darts back to the van. But before he can hop inside, the driver tries to escape, knocking his partner to the ground and leaving him behind, holding the proverbial bag. I thought it was uh, more funny than anything, and uh, it kind of looked like they were up to no good, and looked like maybe they got a little bit of karma um, by themselves. <laughs> Enough punishment for Terry, because even though the suspects haven't been found, they've been caught on camera. Amber McGookin, Global News. Squire Barnes is on standby with sports, but just before we get to that, some breaking news out of Prince Rupert right now, where the Civic Center was evacuated late this afternoon after a reported ammonia leak. Prince Rupert RCMP say a container full of ammonia exploded, forcing the evacuation of everyone inside. Everyone did get out, but some golfers on a nearby course who came over to help were overcome by fumes, and they were taken to hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. No one else was hurt. Firefighters are waiting for the air to clear and will then test it for ammonia before giving the go-ahead to reopen. But after the tragedy in Fernie at Fernie Memorial Arena, they're not taking any chances. So we'll keep an eye on that for you tonight. More details as they become available. Uh, hope everybody's okay. And here's yes. Squire. All right. Um, Kai Kamara, he is the Whitecaps' main striker. He was brought in to score goals. And he does have six goals this year, but he could have many more. Kamara hasn't buried enough of his chances, especially of late, and that's a problem that both Kai Kamara and the head coach want to tackle head-on. After the Whitecaps practice, Carl Robinson and Kai Kamara sat down together to discuss confidence and simplifying the game. What, what he needs to do is focus on what his job is. His job is to be in the middle of the box, be a, a pain to the defenders and put the ball in the back of the net, and he, we know he can do it. He's got to believe he can do it. He can't worry about missing a chance. He's got to 
think about the next chance coming up uh, and that's a conversation I had with him today and Kai's such a great guy he's open to learn he wants to learn he wants to get better um, and you can see it you know it's probably weighing on him a little bit but I've said to him don't worry about it I said I'm behind you the players are behind you the supporters are behind you one thing that has been happening is a tendency for Kamara to help outside of his regular area that's a good teammate move but he can't be doing everything it's because he's a leader and he wants to try and help the team but helping the team is also fo focusing on what you can do and you can control he can control in in the opposition box you know he's a great example of what a, a senior player should be in the locker room and that's the reason I bought him here and I'm delighted he's here you know can I get more out of him can I squeeze another five percent out of him yes I can does he need to work at it yes he does and you know we've had a good frank open conversation today and he's pretty open to it so hopefully you'll see a good fit happy Kai Kamara on Saturday because we need him for the rest of his life, Kendall Waston will be known as a World Cup goal scorer. The percentage of professional soccer players all time who can say that, I am guessing, is somewhere below 1%. He scored in Costa Rica's final game of the World Cup. They didn't make the next round. It was the only game Waston got to play for his country. I'm still not sure why they didn't use him in the other two games. He's great on set pieces, both defensively and offensively. Now, World Cup rules don't allow us to show video of that goal tonight, but Kendall Waston doesn't need a replay to remind him of what happened. The moment is hardwired into his brain. As I remember every, every single thing, every single thing I remember. But the, the, what I really keep in my heart is when I see to the, um, to the stands my wife face. So for me, that makes me even happier. Where was she sitting? Um, behind the, the bench, so she was like um, ten, 10 seats behind, so I know where she was, so when I see her so happy, it was really special for me. Second round at Wimbledon, Milos Ronic, number 13 against John Millman. Ronic was a dangerous man today, I'll show you why in a moment. Wins the first set, 7-6. There's the danger part. Ball girl holds her position and takes one. Oh! And she's okay. Incredibly bright. And then Millman. Wow. He's not immune either. Oh, protect yourself. How fast was that serve? I think most of the cars I've owned have never gone 147. Straight set win for Ronich. Federer also won, so did both of the Williams sisters. All on to round number three. Carlos Gomez last night thought the ball hit him, and actually it probably did right on the hand, but didn't get the call, and then he struck out. Then he was mad. How mad? Well, there's a cooler that's not quite the way it used to be. That's why they have him in the dugout. It has nothing to do with drinks. It gives the guy something to beat on. And if that's not enough, how about knocking over the Gatorade? <laughs> Tough coolers, though. Uh, yeah, they don't break. The uh, Kentucky Derby is the most exciting two minutes in sports. Nathan's famous hot dog eating contest is the grossest ten minutes in sports. Contestants, both women and men, have 600 seconds to swallow as many hot dogs and buns as they can without regurgitation. But you won't see a lot of that because these are competitive eaters. That's what they are called. If any of us ate three hot dogs at a barbecue, our friends would say, you're a pig. But if you eat 60 plus hot dogs in a competition, they'll say, you're a pro. 
Today, the annual battle was held in its traditional site of Coney Island. Now, half of the fun of the hot dog eating contest is a hyperbole put forth by Master of Ceremonies, George Shea. Let's listen. They say that competitive eating is the battleground upon which God and Lucifer wage war for men's souls, my friends, and they are right. For this is a battle for the ages. This is a battle of the titans. And there is the titan himself, Joey Chestnut, 10-time champ. Today, put down 74. That's a record. That is 22,200 calories if you're scoring at home. Miki Sudo was a women's champ. She made 37 go down. And that's what you look like after you eat 74 hot dogs. You might be a champ, but you look like you want a bathroom and you want it now. Terrible. See the veins popping out of his head when he was I've said it forging? before. I know it's gross. There is an area right behind that is called the spit and spew zone. I'm not yeah. joking. Okay. I'm glad you didn't show any of that. <laughs> Coming up on ET Canada, it's a new season, but old controversies emerge on Big Brother. Plus, we sit down with the Tragically Hip for our first interview since the passing of Gord Downey. That's coming up at 7, right after the news hour. Back to you, Chris. Thanks very much, Sangeeta. Well, the Vancouver Island town of Coombs is the talk of the birdwatching community tonight with a surprise reappearance of a rare species that you first pointed out to us, mm -hmm. Gordo. As Sonia Diol reports, the white raven is back after a four-year absence. It's a pretty spectacular sight, a rare white raven first spotted by the Crute family on their Vancouver Island property in Coombs. He's quite the bird. I just tried mimicking his call and I heard him kind of back at me. They were so amazed, they called local amateur photographer Mike Yip to come and have a look and he couldn't believe it. I was really excited because uh, I hadn't seen one since uh, 2013. For years, a handful of white ravens were seen in the nearby town of Qualicum Beach. But when those sightings stopped around four years ago, Mike thought one of the parent birds had died because it actually takes two common black ravens with the same identical recessive gene to produce one single white raven. I mean, we're not talking albino here. Albino means that they're, they're not only have lost all of the colors in their feathers, but also in their eyes and their feet and everything. It's a neat thing. I mean, if I saw a white raven, I would be quite blown away by it. I mean, they're spectacular enough looking as black ravens, but when you see them white, that would be really, really neat to see. And according to the Coop family, people are already heading over to their Winchester Road home to catch the rare sighting. We got people from Vancouver, Victoria, and I started realizing that this bird was something big. And of course, here comes the news. So if you're going over to the island this summer, don't just stop off to take a look at the famous goats. There's now a new animal in town, and he's quite happy being photographed with the rest of his family. Sonia Diol, Global News. Fascinating. That sounds like a good name for a band and or wine. White, White Raven. Raven. Yeah. yeah, good point. I yeah. agree. That's a good one. And it was a, a photo sent in to you. That Yeah, Mike Yip, actually, uh, who we interviewed there, sent us an email with beautiful photos, hoping it for the weather window, but it was so great that we did a story. Did a story on it. <laughs> and here's the news, as yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the interview subject said. Thanks very much for watching. Hope you have a great evening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.